here we are again with another Humble Perspectives with Steve Humble. I'm continuing to read from my book for such a time as this, One Man's Spiritual Journey. In this chapter, I will talk about my wife and I getting together. Ironically, this is the shortest chapter in the book. However, it's the longest story in many ways. This coming July, we will, we will have been married 52 years. I thank God for her still today. Proverbs 18.22 says, He who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. House and wealth are inherited from fathers, but a prudent wife is from the Lord. Proverbs 19.14 And so chapter 3 is called Finding a wife. It wasn't my own wisdom or a proven method of courtship that brought Patricia McKelvey and me together. Nothing in my life speaks more clearly of the favor of God toward me than does the wife that he provided for me. I wouldn't recommend the process by which our lives were joined, but I applaud and thank God for the result. This is not the time to share all the details of our romance, but a summary is appropriate. I first remember meeting Pat at the Mount of Praise camp meeting in August 1963 when I was 14 years old. Parenthetically, I will say in 1985, the Lord led Pat to accept her full name, Patricia, which means noble one. Although it was difficult for her to accept that name as an appropriate description of who she is, I can no longer think of her as otherwise than Noble, Patricia. That year, back in 1963, we worked together in the snack bar at the camp meeting and became friends, even though Patricia was a few years older than me. I was in the throes of adolescence at the time, and she was a fun-loving, friendly, freckle-faced young woman. It was remarkable to me that Patricia even paid attention to me at all, given the differences in our ages. We enjoyed seeing each other again the following year at the camp. We began to develop a genuine friendship even though not all my motives were pure. The next year, 1965, after making a personal commitment to the Lord, Patricia enrolled as a student at Circleville Bible College in the same town where I was a junior in high school. At first, in September and into October, I would drive into the college specifically to see her. But our relationship was developing in a way that we both knew was going to damage her work with, walk with God. I determined to break off the relationship because I did not want to be responsible before God for hurting her, even though at the time I was not pursuing the Lord myself. She had come to the same decision at the same time Thus, we agreed to stop relating to one another in any sort of romantic way. Our friendship continued but did not grow much over the next couple years since we did not get together except when we saw one another in some legitimate context. In 1967, after I entered CBC, we saw one another more because the college was small. We had a few classes together and Patricia worked in the college library where I often had to study. For the next two school years, we continued relating as friends. 
During that time, Patricia became engaged to another student. I was working on my studies, working part-time at Warden Skinner's Cardinal Market, and preaching somewhere an average of once a week. With that schedule, I did not do much dating. The friendship began to grow again during my sophomore year. Patricia sprained her ankle and had to walk with crutches for several weeks. Because we had a class together just before lunch, I began to carry her lunch tray to her table and would sit at the same table with her and others. That might seem unusual, but at CBC, dating couples were allowed to be together only at specified times and for specific lengths of time. Thus, Patricia's fiancé was not permitted to serve her or even to sit at the same table with her. During the middle of the spring semester of 1969, Patricia broke her engagement. However, the breakup was not because of our friendship. It was in January 1969 that the early morning prayer meeting had begun. Patricia became one of the regulars who met to pray every weekday morning. It was in this way that a spiritual bond was begun between us in the context of the larger prayer group. Looking back now, it seems significant that Patricia and I had begun to connect this way so soon following my encounter with the Lord in the prayer room on that January morning and in the prayer meeting that was to prove so foundational in my own journey. Our relationship took on a different dimension on Memorial Day weekend, 1969. Following the Sunday night service at Campus Church, I gave Patricia a ride in my car back to her dormitory. Suffice it to say, the romance began again, intensely. By July, it was obvious to me that I had to make a choice. I did not want to hurt Patricia, especially so soon after her broken engagement. I was strongly attracted to her, an attraction that was obviously mutual. I came to the realization that I needed to decide whether or not I was willing for this relationship to be a serious one. Therefore, in July, before Patricia went to Maine for a vacation with her family, we agreed to take two weeks that she was to be gone at a time as a time to search out before the Lord how serious we were willing to be if our relationship were to continue. At the end of that time, I was certain that I liked Patricia very much and that I was also deeply attracted to her as a woman. However, it was only as I saw her enter the Port Columbus Airport Terminal, her face seemingly aglow after her flight back from Maine, that I knew that I was willing to marry this woman if the relationship developed that way. Ironically, it was not seeing me that had put such joy on her face, but rather the fact that the pilot had noticed her looking with fascination into the plane's cockpit at the instruments and had kindly invited her to come in and take a closer look. By August, we had agreed, jokingly to be sure, yet seriously at the same time, to marry. In early September, I gave Patricia my high school class ring as a sign of our commitment to marry. For 20 years, that class ring was as close as she got to having an engagement ring. A few days later, our commitment was tested in a way that became a foundation stone in our relationship. My dad, who taught at CBC a couple days each week, 
came to me after classes on Tuesday. He knew nothing about the engagement into which Patricia and I had entered. How sad that is. I must acknowledge that I was so independent and so foolish as to make this kind of commitment without ever even discussing it with my parents, let alone seeking their guidance and blessing. What a testimony to God's grace and favor that He has blessed the relationship in spite of my foolishness. Thankfully, Dad came to me. Having heard that Patricia and I were dating, he felt that he had to share some concerns that he, he and my mom had about our relationship. He presented them to me clearly, and as I look back now, he was gracious. My initial response was to defend the relationship rather than to hear his heart. My big defense was to say, but Dad, I can't help it. I love her. Dad replied, boy, you decide who you will love. This truth is so simple, yet it is also profound in a culture in which romantic love is usually perceived to be the basis and primary reason for relationships between men and women. In my foolishness, I couldn't begin to comprehend the reality and wisdom of these words at that time. However, however over the next several days, I did find myself wrestling with the concerns that Dad had brought up. This wrestling led me to offer my desire for Patricia up to the Lord, similar in some respects to the way Abraham offered up Isaac. The following Saturday, while on our weekly date, I told Patricia that I needed to break off the relationship, that I couldn't marry her. I did not handle it in a graceful or even in a manly manner. But I did it, and as far as I knew, it was final. Afterward, I drove her back to her dorm and let her out of the car and set off for Ward's Market, the grocery where I worked. I had hardly driven out of sight when the Lord spoke to me absolutely clearly, though inaudibly. It's okay. You can marry Pat if you want, he said. That was a long, painful afternoon and evening for both of us, I'm sure. However, by the grace of God and the grace of Patricia, by 10 p.m. that Saturday evening, we were once enga again engaged. What about the concerns of my parents? They had brought up real issues that could have been potential problems for us in the years to come. However, because Dad brought them up even in the face of my resistance, Patricia and I made decisions then about those matters which have provided the basis for us to deal with them later with minimal struggle. Thank God that Dad came to me. I'm still grateful for my parents' love and concern. Sadly, it was more than 10 years later before I actually shared with Dad the impact of his coming to me and how important it had been to our marriage. Patricia and I were married on July 10, 1971. Little did she know what she had entered into when our lives were joined together and our spiritual journeys began to merge. Patricia had believed for some time that God was calling her to serve as a missionary. I had sensed a call to ministry since about age 12. Because there were only three options of which I knew, pastor, evangelist, or missionary, and since I was not aware of a specific call to one of these, 
Soon after our engagement, I decided to prepare for missionary work as well. Although even then that seemed an unusual way to make such a choice, I found an inner peace and a growing sense that this was the right direction as we began to plan for the future. Patricia was to graduate from Circleville Bible College the following spring in 1970. I would be finishing my junior year. CBC offered only a few degrees at the time, a two-year Christian worker certificate, a four-year Bachelor of Sacred Literature degree, and a five-year Bachelor of Theology degree. I was in the five-year program but was not really interested in a typical career as a preacher. My motivation at the time included elements of rebellion against the established thinking and reaction to the status quo of church life. Even so, I also had a deep and genuine conviction that there was a double standard in the church. The expectation of one kind of commitment from so-called clergy and another from the laity. I was and still am convinced that all believers are called to commit 100% of their lives and energies to the service of the Lord, whether that service is, quote, in the church, unquote, in the home, in the marketplace, or wherever. It was my reaction against this double standard that caused me not to want to be a pastor or an evangelist or a typical missionary. I decided to prepare to be a self-supporting missionary. Patricia supported me in this. We planned for me to finish that third year at CBC and then transfer into a teacher's college to get a degree. The goal was to go to another nation as a teacher so that I could earn a living while we reached out to people, held Bible studies in our home, and participated in a church if, in that locality if one existed. Teach what? I knew I could teach Bible but that would be typical missionary work and not likely to provide an income anyway. My favorite secular subject was history, but that did not seem like it would be much help in getting a job in another nation. In school, I had always been gifted to understand grammar, therefore I decided to major in English and get certified to teach in secondary schools. Soon after this, I began to plan to go on and get a graduate degree in teaching English as a second language. Next question. What college? CBC was not accredited at the time, so the choices were rather slim when it came to finding a school that would accept my CBC credits. However, there were a few. And after inquiries and research and some prayer, I applied to Marion College which is now Indiana Wesleyan University in Marion, Indiana. And I was accepted for the fall of 1970. Marion accepted two years of my CBC work, so that meant I could get a degree and certification after two years of hard work in Marion. What do all these details have to do with a spiritual journey? That's an important question. Although I did not consciously recognize it at the time, I was beginning to find out some of the ways that God works to unfold and to accomplish His purposes in a person's life. Sometimes God speaks. I've never heard Him speak audibly. However, there have been several times over the past 42 years when God has spoken so directly and so clearly to me that I simply knew in the very depths of my spirit and mind that it was His voice. 
Sometimes what God has spoken have been words of insight about some matter. Sometimes he has given words of direction. Of the latter, a few times he has spoken in a way that made a choice clear and possible, such as when he said, it's okay, you can marry Pat if you want. A few times he has spoken words that I needed to obey. At least once God told me something that would happen, but there was nothing I could do to make it happen. It did. Many times when God has spoken to me, it has not been so direct and clear. Sometimes there has been simply an inner conviction or an unexpected insight that I have received as a thought or an inner sense. However, over time, as I have continued to think about the thought, I've realized that this thought or sense was foreign to me. It was not a way of thinking or an insight that was typical of my way of thinking. And at times I would realize that it was actually beyond my frame of reference to think that way. Usually I find myself mentally wrestling with these kinds of words from God over a period of time. As I wrestle, I'll find confirmation in the scripture if they're from the Lord, sometimes by searching for it, but more often by stumbling onto it. I also will often hear someone else say something or I'll read something in a source other than the Bible that will also provide a measure of confirmation. Frankly, many times only in hindsight do I recognize that God has spoken. A thought comes to my mind or passes through it and later after acting on it or after something comes to pass, I realize that the thought was not my own. Later in my journey, I was to receive insight about God speaking in these ways when I learned about the tripartite nature, tripartite nature of man. The man consists of spirit, soul, and body. I'm sure that God has spoken many more times than I'm aware of. Sometimes, because of various distractions, I probably have not heard his voice when he's spoken, especially in those indirect ways. Is that the still small voice that Elijah heard? At times I'm sure that his words have landed in my busy traffic mind and have been lost, like the seeds picked up from the roadway by the birds in the parable Jesus told. God has often directed my life by words that he has spoken. God is sovereign, omniscient, and omnipotent. God knows me completely. He has worked through my own motivations, my own desires, and my own choices, even my bad motivations, desires, and choices, to move me in the direction that he had chosen. Make no mistake about it. God has not approved of or rewarded my bad motivations, desires, and choices. There are negative consequences that result from these. But even in my failings, I... Quote, know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose, unquote, Romans 8, 28. God has worked providentially through circumstances and situations to press me into the path that he has prepared for me. Sometimes I've been conscious of and sometimes oblivious to God's providential directions. But he has been at work nonetheless. The further I get down the path of my life, the more I can look back and discern a straight path through what had appeared to be twists and turns during the journey. The 
primary place where God's direction for life is revealed is in the scriptures, of course, as the Holy Spirit opens my understanding and applies them to my life. Much of what it means to follow God and to accomplish His purpose is simply to know and obey what He's revealed in the Bible. Nothing takes the place of trusting in the Lord Jesus, of depending on the Holy Spirit, and obeying the Scriptures. The point is, however, that no matter how unspiritual the method by which I made the decisions necessary to prepare for missions may seem, the reality is that God was moving me in a direction that I had no ability to foresee. Had Patricia and I understood where the path of our life was actually heading at that time, I'm pretty sure we would have never set out on it. I probably would have chosen a safer life, one that would that I was familiar with and with which I would feel more comfortable. Thank God I did not know and so I did not refuse.